0: Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, go to saleschema.com slash take charge.
1: And so any brand who believes that it has the power to just stay will, I think, be gone one day. And so we are challenged because we're in a very competitive category. Insurance in general has, it's really price sensitive. People shop based on price and it's competitive and some people value it and some don't think about it at all. And so for us, we have to think every day about creating value, who we are, what do we stand for as a company? You know, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, is relevant because we make it mean something in communities across the country. And our agents, you know, we're almost 20,000 strong independent contractor agents who are around the country serving our brand and really serving the the communities that they help and help protect. And so for us, if we don't think about how do we not only secure business today, helping those agents capture the, the demand that's in the market today, that's my job, But my job is equally helping them set up for the future and generating future demand is equally a marketer's job.
0: Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Are you tired of relying on unpredictable referrals to grow your agency or B2B service company? Yes, Dan, I am. So maybe you hired a salesperson or a lead generation company and your efforts failed miserably. So here's the problem. When it comes to selling agency services and other consultative offers, cold outreach doesn't work. And that's because there's so much competition and noise. And the scarce resource is not differentiators, at least not with the prospects who don't know you yet. So what's the scarce resource? It's actually trust. And at Sales Schema, we've worked with over 100 agencies and B2B service companies since 2014 to help generate qualified meetings and keep the pipeline full so our clients can achieve their dreams. And I've put everything we've learned into my book, Relationship Sales at Scale. And to learn more and pick up the book, you can do that by going to salesschema.com slash R-S-A-S. Again, that's salesschema.com slash R-S-A-S. So today on the show, I'm very excited to welcome Allison Griffin, who is the head of marketing at State Farm, which is a little hundred-year-old insurance company that you may know. According to her official bio, she is tasked with the critical charter of revolutionizing the century-old brand through the lens of future forward marketing initiatives, such as designing the brand's inaugural metaverse footprint which is very fitting because Allison has a very deep background of 25 years in the technology space, working for pioneers like HP and Intel. Allison has curated a number of immersive experiences involving art influencers, gaming, and music. One example is the Cannes Lion winning Intel drone show at the PyeongChang 2018 Olympics. And if you're leading an agency and you're wondering what makes a marketing leader in a large organization tick, then this is the episode for you. So without further ado, please give it up for Allison Griffin. Allison, great to have you on the show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat and get into it.
0: Yeah, likewise. And I got a chance to check out, you know, you on a previous interviews, your LinkedIn, you've got such such a storied background. You've been in so many different places, and I'm guessing you've learned a ton. Um, so with that, this is a big question, but can can you talk about your background and kind of how you got to, to leading marketing at State Farm?
1: Yeah, sure. So I started on the agency side. I started in college was a PR and communications major and then got hired into a PR agency. So started those formidable years on the agency side. In fact, I always say, if I really, really like a candidate, I usually say started an agency first. I think that's the best training ground to open up young minds to different business models, different client cultures, different types of companies, big, small, you know, when you get to work on all the varied clients. I think it's such a great training ground for that early career starting and figuring out what you like yourself. So I feel fortunate that I was at two different agencies, a fairly small independent agency, and then a bigger that was in the Omnicom family agency. And starting in that storytelling and narrative was kind of where I My default function, if you will, goes back to that and started in Silicon Valley. I was born and raised there. My mom was a 43-year retiree from Hewlett-Packard, so I only say that to say that Silicon Valley and tech was where I was at and what was buzzing all around, especially in the early 90s when I got out of college and started my career there in that tech industry on the agency side
0: that's great and I, I think in one of your your previous interviews you talked about starting pursuing pharmacy or pr- pursuing a you know that that path and then in college you described kind of going into an advertising class you said these are my people um, yes. what is it about about marketers advertisers that you think is uh, compelling or interesting
1: you know i'm careful when i answer it because it's not that pharmacy students aren't my people necessarily i loved pharmacy i wanted to be a pharmacist, but I had been working from the age of 15 and a half through my junior year of college actually in pharmacy and filling prescriptions and stuff. And there was such a different vibe when I walked into that first marketing and advertising class and influence and the ability to use copy and images and emotion to get a point across. I just I don't know. I had been so into organic chemistry and calculus and these sort of science things, which I love, but it spoke to me when I realized there was this industry out there. I mean, of course I knew there was an industry out there, but it hadn't been in my, in the forefront of my thought process that it could be for me until I walked into that class and it was so different than anything of the three years that preceded it of my college education. And I just loved the vibe and the feeling of what those students were interested in and the chatter and what we talked about in study groups and things. It was just very compelling to me at the time.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so you're, you're kind of getting out of college, joining an agency. And what was it like working in an agency in, in the 90s? And yeah, how did, how did that experience play out for you?
1: oh my gosh, Silicon Valley was booming at that time. And I was in the thick of it. And I was on the agency side. So like I have already alluded to, I was on several different clients. So I remember I was on a team that took a client public. I was on a team that slowed down a business unit, sort sort of jettisoned a business unit. right? So I was getting experiences of all these different types of things that a company would go through that man, if you were just at that one company, you may or may never experience one of those things. But on the agency side with several clients and being especially young in your career, you're kind of on a lot of clients, you know, when you're more that junior support staff. And I was just getting exposure to a lot of different things, all technology companies, but all, you know, that explosion of new businesses and startups and the culture. And just, like I said, taking companies public venture capitalists looking to get a PR agency on the docket so that they could then go public. There just all that vibe was going on in the 90s and yeah. I felt like I was in the thick of it and experiencing so many different challenges and and that's why I've always said to younger, you know, early career folks think about starting on the agency side. Any any there there's creative agencies, there's PR agencies, there's experiential agencies, there's market research agencies, right? There's a ton of different depending on if you're left brain, right brain, somewhere in between like me. And that just that exposure to all the dynacism that you get early on, I think then helps kind of, I don't like this. I do like that. I want this. I don't want that. And and helped me make the selection when I decided to cross over from the agency side into client side, I really knew what I wanted and that it was going to be the right kind of step for me based on the the broad exposure that I had.
0: That's super interesting. And I, I kind of have two questions in one, I guess. First is what made you decide to leave the agency space and go brand side? And then how does that reflect the sorts of applicants you're interviewing now in marketing roles at State Farm? Is that typical people are coming from the agency world or where, if not, then where are the better applicants generally coming from these days?
1: So for me, I was ready to take that step. I, oh gosh, now I should have, I should know the calculations. I don't know, seven years or something on the agency side. And I had been on the Hewlett Packard HP account and I was the acting PR manager for the computer division at HP. And then they hired me in. So it wasn't a very big stretch or scary move because I was sort of that acting person anyway for a long time. And then there was that weird coincidence that my mom had been at HP for her entire career. So in the 70s, I grew up going to HP company barbecues. I have said in podcasts in the past that literally Bill and Dave Hewlett and Packard were flipping burgers at those company barbecues in the Santa Cruz mountains, little basin for those who know the area and literally patted me on my head in the, in the early seventies. So there was something about HP that felt comfortable and in easy to take that step, but I took the step away from the agency side because I knew I was ready to grow beyond just the function of PR. It's still my heart and I love it. But I was ready to go in and sort of start taking on more and more and more on the client side, a broader swap of marketing. So internal communications, external communication, executive communications is kind of how it started. And then you add measurement and advertising and creative. And, you know, now head of marketing at State Farm is great. I get the opportunity to manage all of it. But, you know, it just started on the agency side narrowly. And then by going into HP, I was able to expand that breadth.
0: Right, and get all sorts of experiences with all sorts of different clients and then kind of focus all that energy on one. Makes a lot of sense. And the second part of the question, yeah, how does that reflect the usual path for candidates now?
1: I do think that agencies are a wonderful training ground. And I don't mean that to belittle, like, say, their training. I mean, these are sophisticated, big operations that are doing amazing work for the biggest brands in the world. But what I mean is they seem to be better set up than smaller internal department. That doesn't have all of, I, I just remember, you know, Goldhorn training was what they called it. Goldhorn was the Wilson McHenry mascot uh, in my first agency. And, you know, there's training sessions and brown bag lunches and all of these kinds of things. Also, I like to say there's different promotion opportunities, you know, a junior associate, an associate, a senior associate, a junior manager, a manager, a senior manager, right? So there's a sense of progression. And to me, getting that opportunity and that experience helps for the client side brands to then say, all right, somebody has spent a little time, has had exposure to several different business models and all those different kinds of activities that happen in the life of a company. And they've learned a lot about teaming and collaboration. And they've learned the frustrations of the client, right? When you're on the agency side, Believe me, I know how frustrating a client can be. And it's really cool because when you bring then in somebody from the agency, they understand both. And I think they treat agencies differently. They understand, look, they're meant to bill hours. The agency is meant to push and bring an outside perspective. They know what an agency thinks and how they think. So then when they're on the client side, I think they can take that experience that they're having with their agency partner and understand it instead of be frustrating by it. Right. So I do admit that I am excited about those candidates that come from an agency. But of course there are an amazing group of candidates that come from small companies that have exposure across, you know, they do everything inside the company. They are the marketing department, if you will, that's appealing And then companies who come from really big global brands who have experience in other countries and other regions of the world and the differences about how you think as a marketer, even if you're only marketing in the United States, having that experience of understanding the difference of marketing in China versus Argentina versus Canada is really beneficial. So you can get all of the amazing experiences no matter what the feeder is But I do really appreciate the care and attention that agencies have for growing new talent.
0: Yeah, And I think that that's a lot like you know we had Rory Sutherland on the show a while back from Ogilvy, and that was one thing that sticks out to me is he was like it's always a ladder for misfits, for it's always like the sort sort of place that can take somebody out that that you know wouldn't fit in in a marketing role that require an MBA or something like that, and so it's a way to kind of get involved. So. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And to do back to HP, which is super interesting. So I think you started working there in 2000, right? Which is, and then you were there, I think for like 16 years. What was it like to be there back then with the internet in infancy and like, versus like what happened in those 16 years, I guess, which is a huge question. But
1: Oh my gosh. And I say this with all love to Hewlett Packard that shaped who I am as a marketer, shaped me with my family, with my mom being a 43 year retiree from the company but a lot went down in that time that I was there. We had many CEOs. We had scandals. We had merger. Really, it was an acquisition of Compact Computer. We were ahead of the game in certain areas. I remember Carly Fiorina, when she was the CEO, I remember we had an IPAC, and it was an early handheld. came from the Compact side of the acquisition house, but I remember one CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, she had a keynote and she talked about how the IPAC was, I can't remember, like the remote control for the living room Mm -hmm. and all of like a a media server in your house and how you could manage streaming and services. And this was kind of like before any of that was even really happening. And so being in tech in Silicon Valley with these big companies that were global and were sometimes ahead of their game and and just didn't kind of lead the transition, but sometimes really hitting the transition. Digital printing is one I'd say we really caught fire on the printing side of the house, photographs, and really being there to, to see all of those different variations of what Hewlett-Packard was, and not the least of which was the splitting of the company into two, which it is today, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise and HP Inc. And me having been on both Basically, all sides of the business. It was really interesting to experience all the turbulence, but also the learning that it gave me.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine. And there's this great book you probably know. It's kind of become like one of those those classic marketing books called Crossing the Chasm, right? Which is yes. about marketing technology. We all know this. And it seems like you'd be on like if anybody's on the forefront of that problem of trying to get from early adopters to everybody else, it would be somebody leading marketing at HP and Intel for so many years. So I guess my question is, do you have kind of like an undergirding marketing philosophy when it comes to marketing things that people don't accept yet? And what would that yes. be?
1: Yeah. And it's funny. And I and there's like a parallel with date farm, weirdly. So I was I grew up in the tech industry where innovation and trying and failing, do it, do something, just move, because on any given day, especially when I was at HP, some of the biggest global brands in the world had arrows at us. I mean, on any given day, the printer business had Kodak, Epson, Canon, et cetera. The PC business had Dell, IBM, Acer, et cetera. The services business, it's everything from BMC to consultants to whatever, right? So so my point is we had to be fast because a competitor would do something before we would holistically. And so I I learned try, go, fail, fail fast, regroup, try again. And I just didn't know any different because that's where I grew up, if you will. And so helping customers understand complex technology in the early days, like in the 90s, when we were just talking about, it was easy. Speeds and feeds were all you needed to do. And I am also aging myself. I stood at a fax machine. Mm -hmm. I'll have to look it up for those of you who don't know what that (laughs) is. But I was feeding press releases into a fax machine. And all you had to do to get press in those early days would say, The battery life is, you know, I don't know, 30 minutes probably at the time, not 16 hours like it is today, you know, on the amount of memory and the speed and how long does it take to boot up, right? Those were the things that could get you pressed and set you apart. And then you fast forward and realize, look, customer benefits are what matter. And so to the point of crossing the chasm, I learned early on that getting the technology in the hands of the user would be among the best ways for them to understand. So if you'll indulge me, I'll tell a yeah. short story. Mm-hmm. I was at HP and we were on the workstation side, which is like the really powerful, but PCs, you know, not server level, but a very powerful PC. And it was more like for the creative community, filmmakers, or anybody who needed big compute power, architects, the music industry, right, Like where it could do better than And at the time, Apple was the king of the creative agency, and it wasn't trying to be the most powerful computer. It could have if it wanted to. It wasn't. And these HP workstations were more powerful. And we were trying to get these workstations and HP's name in the hands of creatives and young people, consumers. And so we went to Coachella, and we had at the time not just the powerful PCs, but Two in one, you know, computers that could come apart from each other, the keyboard or flip all the way open or touch screen, none of which was possible on an Apple. They just didn't have the technology at that time. And so we thought, well, let's set up like a, an experience and these concert goers can take a break from the heat, come in and make stuff. But in order to make the giveaway that we were sort of giving away, They had to interact in ways that they couldn't with an Apple computer. And it was really, really successful because there were people who are like, touch screen, I don't experience that in my data life, or a screen that flips, or it rotates, or it separates. And in order to make the giveaway, you had to do all those things. And I learned early on that that really resonates with people. If you can connect their sight, sound, like all the senses, right? So I say that to say fast forward into State Farm and in November of 2020, we did a football activation during the football season and we had an augmented reality game. You could get on your phone and and hit logos, right? The State Farm logo that you see behind me there would be floating around wherever you were and and you hit them for prizes. But the point of it is we don't have a technology that you can get your hands on as State Farm. It's an intangible and it's something nobody thinks about insurance. It's boring, right? But if we could spark dopamine and get into, oh my gosh, I'm winning, I'm winning. And and we were giving away NFTs and that was early, early. Like NFTs were only six months in the world. So people were excited. And again, that notion of even if your product isn't a product, but getting your brand in the hand of your intended target and helping them experience positive feelings from it or a benefit from it, I think really, really served me well and really shaped how I think about innovation and, and how I evaluate programs that agencies bring to us.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I definitely want to get, get to the agency angle because that's what all the listeners are shopping at the to here probably. But <laughs> that's it's really interesting. And it reminded me, you know, we did an interview with Say, It was like former CMO Levi's. And I, in my head, I was thinking like... Whatever. Levi's are like part of the woodwork. Like they're here. They'll always be here. It's like in the same way the sun comes up and uh, that's that. And she corrected me and she was like, no. Like the company, I don't know if she said it almost folded, but she said something to the effect of like we would have just become relegated to nothingness like many times if we didn't make XYZ work and so on. So I'd love to hear your your perspective on that. Cause when I think of state farm, I'm like, it's part of the woodwork. It's state farm. They could just do nothing or you could do things really well and it'll always be there. What what's your perspective on that and how does that affect your job as a marketer? As a quick break, I wanted to let you know about our newest video training, how to take charge of your agency's future revenue. By the end of this training, you're going to learn how we get two to five qualified appointments every week using tasteful and highly targeted email outreach. That might not sound like a lot, but once you understand the outreach napkin math, you're going to learn how this can lead to massive scale for your agency or B2B service company. In addition to that, you're going to learn the six steps for successful outreach campaigns based on everything that we've learned from working with more than 100 agencies since 2014. You're going to get the complete agency outreach tech stack so you understand the right tools for getting the right results. And you're going to see agency to brand email examples and get inspiration from high converting campaigns. So to get this 30-minute training, all you need to do is go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge.
1: Oh, so many brands have thought that. I am reminded of the time at HP. I kind of referenced it of the printing photos. I remember Kodak, a hundred and fifty-year-old brand. Whoever saw that coming, that they would just disappear. I mean, it's like. At the time, no one was better at photography than Kodak and they're just gone. And so any brand who believes that it has the power to just stay will, I think, be gone one day. And so we are challenged because we're in a very competitive category. Insurance in general has it's really price sensitive. People shop based on price and it's competitive and some people value it and some don't think about it at all. And so for us, we have to think every day about creating value, who we are, what do we stand for as a company? You know, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, is relevant because we make it mean something in communities across the country. And our agents, you know, we're almost 20,000 strong independent contractor agents who are around the country serving our brand and really serving the, the communities that they help and help protect. And so for us, if we don't think about how do we not only secure business today, helping those agents capture the the demand that's in the market today, that's my job, but my job is equally helping them set up for the future and generating future demand is equally a marketer's job. And so that's why you see our brand in places like the gaming category or music or sports or whatever is so that we're not only relevant to sort of a demographic today, but we're relevant in keeping our brand front and center for the younger audiences. And I think Jake from State Farm plays a big role in that,
0: too. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, your your background is, is compelling because, you you know, you came from Silicon Valley, you're from, from California originally. So disruption is something that you're used to and that you know about. How does that affect your job as a marketer? Like what, what keeps you up at night in terms of like State Farm getting disrupted, if anything?
1: Yeah, a lot, actually. So it was really important to me back in early 2020 when the metaverse was a bigger conversation than it is today. And we can talk about that, too. But our hundredth anniversary was sort of coming up and it was it was last year in in, uh, 2022. And So in 2020, we're thinking about the metaverse, we're playing around the avatar, the character Jake from State Farmwood had already been the first non-playable character in NBA 2K. So while that wasn't the metaverse, we had this sort of representation of our brand in a gaming environment, and we'd been learning a lot from it. But as we got closer and closer to our 100th anniversary, it was important to me that we were seen. Not as an old stodgy brand. So on that day in June, we launched our presence in the metaverse. And I'm sure it comes from my Silicon Valley disruption background. I'm sure that's why it just really mattered to me that we took that leap and that we got into that space as a first mover for sure in our category. But even as a very early mover, even for the tech industry, and to meaningfully show up in ways. So we partnered with iHeart. We have State Farm Stadium on Roblox and in Fortnite. We have State Farm Neighborhood as well. Jake is in the metaverse. So we have kind of like the equivalent of what we have in real life of stadium naming rights, as well as interacting with this avatar figure, Jake from State Farm, similar to what we were doing in NBA 2K. And so that we could authentically be there. This wasn't for the first time. We had already had learnings. We knew what to do and what not to do to make that experience for the interactions in the gaming or in the metaverse world authentic and meaningful to the people who were engaging with us. And it really mattered to me that we tried it. And I'm really, really proud of us for doing that. And similarly, we're thinking about of course, AI and chat GPT and Dolly, you know, images and words and, and what does it mean for our industry? And so we're doing a lot behind the scenes in front of the scenes to just think about the new technologies, working with our agency partners to think about what do we need to bring to life to test and learn?
0: Right. That that makes a lot of sense. And and with that in mind, can you talk about how you source agencies and where, where you think they provide the most value and also maybe how that's changed, right? Because you've started an agency in the nineties, HP, other companies over the years, Intel. Yeah, I'll leave it at that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's tough. Agencies are always in a tough spot because even if they have decades long experience with the brand, there are things they just don't have ready information about. You know, the speed at which an enterprise's business could be taking turns in certain jurisdictions or things like that. An agency can try to be integrated, but it's only as integrated as the client allows. And to me, I've often said garbage in, garbage out. So if we're not getting the best out of your agency, likely the problem is you. And that is not something that people like to think about or hear or know. It's very easy to just say, they don't get it. And maybe sometimes that's true maybe there's not a fit, maybe there's not a skill alignment for what the client needs, but probably seven or eight times out of 10, the client isn't enabling the right kind of engagement from the agency for them to perform at their best. So I always think the first thing that any brand should do when they're having trouble with an agency is to look critically at themselves. The problem is not a lot of people like to look critically at themselves and can sort of wish away or think away any truth and honesty there. And it's easier just to say, let's separate. So I kind of say that, but what do I look for? There are some, especially changing business units within HP. I also lived in Geneva, Switzerland for a year with HP. So I say that in the context of I was exposed to different agencies, even within the same company or in a different country with the same company. I have kept a couple with me that have kind of moved from job to job or company to company even. And what I look for is there's that je ne sais quoi, right? That I don't know. You, The agency gets me. And for me, that's, that we're going to push each other, that we're going to be innovative. I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. That is not exciting to me. And I don't want to repeat, do the things I've already done. I want to go do the next thing. And there are probably clients that aren't in that mindset. And I completely understand that. But for me, I don't want the same old, same old. And looking at someone who can match my passion and energy for new And innovative and taking a risk calculated, of course, reasonable risk is really, really important.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess like, how has that affected the way that you engage agencies? Like, are you, do you have like kind of like this gang of companies or friends that you'll take with you and engage? How often are you looking for new agencies doing new things? Are you hiring dozens or just a few over the course of of your career in any given place? Like, how, how are you kind of thinking about it?
1: Yeah. So I've been fortunate to be in some big brands in my career and lots and lots and lots and lots of agencies, you know, at HP globally, geez, I don't even know. I think at one time there was some obscene number, like 190 or something. And then we did that classic procurement, let's get fewer, better, you know, global support, that kind of thing. So I've had the ability to have view to a lot. Those that come with me is less than five. And I mean, just a couple. And I've had success with them. But like here coming to State Farm, I've had new experiences with agencies I'd never, honestly, didn't even have awareness of in the past. And we've done some great things. The metaverse is a good example. The marketing arm is our partner, TMA, one of our partners at State Farm on the creative side. And TMA helped with that non-playable character in NBA 2K. TMA helps us with our sports, football, Campaigns and our price campaigns and TMA helped us with iHeart in the metaverse and they were new to me and I just appreciate so much from them and, and they're pushing me in new ways. But similarly, I have an agency who I've worked with for a very long time called Infinity Marketing Team, IMT, and they're on the experiential side and they are re- grounded in that tech sector. And what I like about them is they're on the forefront of the craziest, latest, newest, weirdest, strangest, in the best way, activations, and how to imagine. I've often said about the the president and CEO over there, Chad Tuns, I can dream up a thing, and then he makes it in real life happen. And when you can find a partner who... Truly understands the madness that is some sometimes a crazy idea, and then making it tangible in the real world. It's like wow, that is a very good partnership, and there's somebody who has served me and the the companies that I've been at very well over the years. So it's it's a the <laughs> board.
0: Yeah, that that's really insightful. I think a lot of a lot of people listening are going to benefit from that. And I think one thing you said that's interesting is like you know the idea of a kind of pushing the envelope, coming up with new and unorthodox ideas like taking risks is really important for an agency. But I think a lot of people listen, they're like, yeah, we do that, but then we just get shot down and it doesn't work. And it sounds like you're really into the risk taking so on. But I think one thing that would be useful is like, can you give a little background? Like when stuff like how does stuff get shot down? What's going on there? And how can agencies reset their expectations to, to deal with that?
1: You know, a it's in a couple of ways. So sometimes agencies are just in the unfortunate position of their direct client or who they, the highest level of person that they can engage with truly isn't the ultimate, ultimate decision maker. So sometimes the bigger boss comes in and says no. And it's not always because the agency had a bad idea. There could be different factors. Like for instance, we this year, this Super Bowl, we opted not to do a proper television commercial. And we did have several proper, what you would think of as a Super Bowl television ad. We had a treatment. We had the ability to go do it. And then we kind of paused and looked at a couple of things. We looked at the uniqueness of the fact that we had happened to have stadium naming rights this year. State Farm Stadium is where the Super Bowl was being played. Number one, and our sector at large, not State Farm specifically, our sector at large was raising rates and, you know, part of inflation and cost of goods and services and claims and all of that going up. The industry was raising rates. And so we were like, optically, could we, should we do a traditional Super Bowl ad? And what we did was decided to lean in. To the naming rights and we worked really closely with our agencies and, and said, well, what would it look like if we didn't do that traditional way? Cause we, we kind of got a no, if you will. And so my point is that no turned into ultimately a much better opportunity for our brand. And it got us to all think creatively like, Hey, we don't have to do this year a traditional ad in the same way our name is going to be during the entire broadcast. We're there. It's at the Super Bowl has come to us. And so what can we do differently and and it was born a campaign that we can talk about later if you'd like to. But but the point there is sometimes a no is a blessing of an even better yes. So sometimes agencies get told no for one reason or another, macroeconomic yeah. reasons, right? Not because the idea was bad. And then sometimes there's a no and it depends on the client fighting for it and, and helping the person who truly is saying no, understand why it's a good idea. The why behind it matters and not just coming up and throwing spaghetti against a wall to hope that something sticks. Cause that's when a no remains a no. So if you, if agencies can articulate why, why this and why this now? What will it do differently for the brand? That it just gives it an opportunity for a longer life,
0: yeah, that's really great and, and really useful. and I think tied to that, if you're thinking about the agencies you may hire or are likely to hire in the next twelve, twenty four months, whatever it is, what are they doing differently? You know how are they reaching you? How are they keeping your attention? How are they offering value and like rising above the heap of what I'm guessing is thousands of marketers pitching you all day. <laughs>
1: So another agency that I am really hot on is the MRN agency. And part of the reason is the diversity aspect. It is a a Latino woman owned agency. And we, you know, the Hispanic market matters to us. Diversity and inclusion, of course, matters to us. We are as diverse as every human in the United States. We sell insurance. Doesn't matter who, where, when, how, what insurance is for everyone in the country. And so those voices, that perspective is really, really compelling and important. And MRN is grounded in data and insight. So there's not random acts of marketing, which is super important to me, the why that's where that is sort of born. And that perspective of a market The perspective of, you know, soccer is another one. We've been in soccer for a long time, but thinking about soccer and elevating instead of us being the quiet sports and people mostly know us NBA and NFL and a little bit of baseball, right? We are, we're across the spectrum in sports and MRN helping us think about based on their other clients like AT&T, for example. And, and so I say all that to say, Who are we looking for differently is diverse agencies. Sometimes boutique agencies are better for a sports niche or a gaming or a culture or some aspect that we're a brand is trying to sort of elevate differently than it had before. Also, the perspective of keeping the business of what we do running with our current set of agencies and not upsetting the apple cart there of what's working well. So those are just, that might've been all over the place, but literally that's all the things in my mind as I think about the stable of agency partners that we currently have and that we're looking to bring on.
0: That makes sense. And, and I, I guess with that, what are the areas that you found harder to source, right? In terms of agency talent or whether, or maybe even hiring that role in-house, like what are the areas that's like, oh crap, we need to fill this need if anything comes to mind?
1: Yeah. You know, we're in a tough industry. It's competitive. How many ways can you talk about insurance (laughs) that's interesting and compelling that all of our competitors aren't doing too? And so sometimes we have to have the right expectations. Like I said, sometimes when an agency isn't doing well, the problem is the client sometimes. And so sometimes we're wanting to catch lightning in a bottle (laughs) over and over and over again. And so Jake from State Farm, that was, that asset is working so well for us. And we have a stable of assets. We have, we already talked about the line, like a good neighbor State Farm is there, the jingle, right? The notes associated with that line, the logo, the color red, the khakis, right? So we've got a mix of assets that we would love all of them to be as prominent as they can be, for example. And so, Sometimes there's realistic or unrealistic expectations that some agency can like, okay, you did it with Jake. Now let's go do it with khakis or whatever. We didn't say that, but but that's the idea. And sometimes we have to just figure out, is it possible what we want to do? And let's go down that road a couple of exits. Don't just stop. Or is it not possible? And those are the kinds of things that can an agency help us solve that problem or not.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and there's things that you, you already know to work and there's already a lot that you're working with. And my guess is something like insurance, like a big part of it is reliability and it not changing every five seconds, right? It's yeah. not like, like clothing. So right. I guess to do a little sidebar, assuming you were, you're, you're privy to this and you were around for, for it. What's, what's the origin story of, of Jake from State Farm? How did that come about? And why yeah, is it so, so- successful? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Jake, there is an original Jake, not the current Jake. Original Jake is Jake and he is from State Farm. He's a call center employee and currently is. And at the time, this was more than 10 years ago. And of course, I wasn't here, but I know the story. It's actually someone who's my head of um, brand creative and strategy. She was on the team that went and they were shooting a commercial. And we used to put real agents in commercials back then and sometimes employees. And they were looking to do a call center representative and it's a famous pretty famous commercials your creatives probably know it it's the what are you wearing commercial and he says uh khakis and so it's that from more than 10 years ago and they needed somebody to be the call center person and it really was jake from state farm who was wearing khakis so we used him and that that spot more than 10 years ago hot fire, and they ran that thing for like 10 years, not literally don't, but, but forever and didn't change it. And he became a little bit, he had a little bit of a cult following, but more importantly, what the brand understood as, you know, more present day was the, I'll call it one word, Jake from State Farm had some equity built up into it already, just because of the one spot that people thought was funny and that they ran over Fits and starts for the better part of a decade. And so they realized, well, we should lean into that, Jake from State Farm. So there was a very big casting call, as the creatives on the line will know. And Kevin, Jake, just jumped off the screen. He truly is the persona and the person that you see. He's from the Midwest. He has those values, that good neighbor spirit. He's not acting. I mean, we could absolutely have found an actor who looked remotely like the original Jake, who could say the lines and convincingly deliver them. Or we could go with this person who looked nothing like the original Jake, but who embodied who we are as being a good neighbor and could really bring our brand promise to life. And that was really important for us. So he's not you know, how we use him. He doesn't hawk insurance. He doesn't sell insurance. That character doesn't do that. But that character can show up virtually or in real life in places that a cartoon or a caricature couldn't. And one week apart, last year we were at TwitchCon and one week later at BravoCon and Jake made personal appearances at both. And I thought, oh boy, both of them equally like is anybody going to care at a gaming show when all the biggest gamers in the world are there to go say hi to an insurance character? Heck yes, the line was 45 minutes long to go take a picture with Jake. And then I thought, okay, well then surely at BravoCon, that's a completely different demographic and a completely different audience. Oh, sure enough, 50-year-old women (laughs) were lining up (laughs) to go meet Jake from State Farm. And I say that jokingly, but really the asset has scaled. And I, I believe it's because it's the personification of who we are more than a character who's reciting lines.
0: Yeah. And I think, and I mean this in a good way, but I also think the genericness of that character is is something people can can empathize with. It reminds them of their friend or, the, or of themselves. And Scott Adams controversies aside, that was like the intention of Dilbert was it just to be a right. weird name, generic character somebody that I know and see every day and everything like that. So maybe there's some some of that going on going on yeah. as well. Yeah, and I guess kind of getting towards the end of our time. What are you working on now? Like what's what's exciting to you and uh, and so on?
1: I'm really excited about gaming. So in that category of generating future demand and sort of putting Jake from State Farm into places authentically where we have a brand have been, Gamerhood 2 starts in June. It's every Thursday on Twitch and YouTube for the month of June. And we have some of the biggest names in gaming and gaming content creators, eight, by the way, who are playing this year in teams of two. Last year, all eight, they were different players and they were playing solo. So this year, teams of two, and I'm really excited because... It's all things gaming. Players who are watching can play in real time and win trivia, win prizes in real time. Jake is there. Yard games and fun little antics happen. And a couple of insurable moments go on, little little mini catastrophes that go on in the gamerhood that the players have to cope with while they're gaming. So we're really excited. It was very successful season one, which was last June. And I'm really, really excited to roll it out bigger and better than ever on June 1st, Thursday, June 1st, and excited about that and equally excited about our spot in sports. We really value our role in supporting sports and women's sports. We've been doing that for decades, kind of quietly. And so we're excited about, you know, we're shooting our upcoming sports campaigns. We always do that in the summer. So we're starting to think about that and you'll you'll begin to see those new campaigns roll out here over the next several months.
0: Awesome. That's that's great to know. And I think uh, there's so many valuable tidbits for agencies to take from this. So really appreciate it, Allison. and I uh, hope we can do it again.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. Again, today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, again, you can go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge.